three, two, and one. Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the Fateful and for the Fateful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you tonight? Well, that was a hell of a win for the Edmonton Oilers. So I'm in in, uh, quite a good mood. They really needed a victory. So much better to be eight and six than seven and seven, especially with two more tough road games coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was it was a really hard fought and difficult victory three to two over the lightning of Tampa Bay. And Bruce, I just to start it off. I just want to say, like, you know, our thoughts and hopes and, you know, what, what's that saying? Thoughts and prayers are with Evander Kane. That was a really scary um, injury. In fact, I couldn't watch it. I just fast forwarded all through that. I just couldn't watch what happened to him. You know, having his wrist was slipped by a skate. And uh, hopefully, no. he'll. hopefully, it sounds like he's okay. That's excellent. Stable. I mean, first things Stable. first, he lived. You know, I mean, that, that, I mean, you could get your wrist cut with a skate, David. I was freaking terrified when that yeah, first it was, happened. It was horrible. So our, our thoughts are with the guy and hopefully you're okay, Evander Kane. And I'm sure everyone is fan is feeling the same, living that and feeling the same thing. That was really, that was really tough. And, you know, hopefully he's not out forever here. Like it could be a while. So we'll it see how that while. Don't see, see how, how it can be. Yeah, well, you so, just never know, right? You know, there's know. no way you lose that much blood in that short amount of time without it being a really deep cut. You know, it's just <clears throat> physiologically possible. I don't think to bleed that much from a any kind of a superficial wound. But all we can hope is that nothing major was slashed. And uh, uh, that I mean, the, the great news is that he's stable, and they're they're evaluating, and will probably undergo some kind of procedure later tonight but he sure got attention very quickly which obviously is a big part of it yeah i mean that could that could happen at any like hockey game in canada injury like that right and when there's no like least it's at an nhl game with all of that medical personnel there to care for him i just i just after it happened i said to my wife like i just i'm gonna be putting a medical bag in my car i've got a bunch of them for being a minor hockey coach i'm just gonna put one or two in my car so you know, we'll have for, some, for multiple reasons, but to have all kinds of for stuff. hockey as well. Yeah. But so anyway, that was a very scary moment, and again, our thoughts are with uh, Vander Kane. Bruce, let's get right into it. Huge Oilers win, uh, absolutely huge. Um, yeah. And um, we'll do we'll we'll do this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. But we're going to go with two good things. Each, because we both got lots to say about this game. What is your first good thing? Uh, I could say good things about a whole lot of orders tonight. And, uh, uh, in particular, to a bunch of guys that were sort of on the cusp of the doghouse. Who, uh, <laughs> Not on the all, cusp. Uh, well, okay. In, in the dog at, least, at least in the, in the main floor of the doghouse, if not locked in the basement. <laughs> but uh, uh, a, a whole bunch of guys uh, like... Um, Fogel and Yamamoto and Pugliarvi and Murray and Campbell that were all sort of under the microscope for not having done a whole lot to help to this point. And I thought they were all excellent and played their asses off, to be frank. But I'm going to single out of that Warren Fogel and specifically his first goal that uh, opened the scoring uh, during a, a, a very difficult start where the Oilers were out 
shot 10-1 and cut the, um, uh, somehow they scored on the one and Campbell stopped the 10. And I dropped a little note to you at that point saying the Oilers PDO is running 2,000 for this game at this point. <laughs> but the one was, it was a really, really good goal. And it was a shorthanded goal from the uh, embattled penalty kill. I mean, you want to talk about in the doghouse, the entire penalty kill was in Chateau Chien after the last two games. And uh, tonight they killed, uh, how many? Uh, they killed, they stopped. Uh, or five or six. Uh, it was. Yeah, 0 for 5. Tampa was 0 for 5. And in fact, minus 1 for 5 because Edmonton opened the scoring with a shorthanded goal on, on really a terrific two-man effort from Vogel and, and uh, Ryan McLeod. Uh, that ended with the very unlikely result of Warren Fogel's first goal of the season and Ryan McLeod's first assist of the season. And they both deserve plenty of credit here. Fogel was the first guy that made a play in the neutral zone to chip the puck down into uh, Tampa's territory. And that was just a hustle battle to get the puck a little deeper. And then McLeod was all over it. And he deflected the pass from one defenseman to the other, so Hedman couldn't really handle the pass. And then McLeod was all over Hedman and uh, got a piece of another puck, and it went back out over the blue line. And he made, like, I think I counted six touches by McLeod, and they were basically all perfect to either control the puck, to spring it loose, to control it, or eventually to pass it to Fogel coming across the blue line. And uh, Fogel... uh, got the puck between, a little above the circles, but between the circles, and he had Victor Hedman scrambling back into position, and he fired a really wicked wrist shot uh, through um, uh, Hedman's skate screenshot right inside, if not uh, tickling in off the post past uh, none other than Andre Vasilevsky, widely regarded as the best goalie in hockey. So yeah. you're going to get your first goal of the season. <laughs> That's a pretty good way to do it especially the night after he'd been the goat on the one nothing goal uh, that went the other way. And so this was, uh, this was again a game where uh, the team that scored first never trailed and wound up winning in regulation. And that turned out to be a pretty huge goal. But it was a goal built on uh, really good hard work by both players and excellent execution by both players. And there was a big yell in the McCurdy household when that one bulged the twine. He Warren Fogel is a hardworking hockey player. Yeah, oh. he is not the most skilled hockey player, <laughs> but he works hard and and he got rewarded there. McLeod's um, uh, he he had another really good pass. He set up uh, Derek Ryan on a breakaway. I think that was the oh. Ryan breakaway where, where Ryan couldn't get a shot on net. And then there was Fogel's other great play was the uh, right at the end there blocking that shot with four seconds left going out mm-hmm. and blocking that shot because Tampa Bay was. They were storming the Oilers. They were storming. They were storming the Oilers. Bruce, uh, my first good thing is is on your list of players who were in the uh, doghouse, and no one was more in the doghouse, I don't think, than Jack Campbell. Um, what was his save percentage going into this game? I can tell you in a second here. He uh, he was struggling, Bruce. He was struggling, and he, as he said himself. He, you know, he he said his play was pathetic, and um, not too far from the truth. He he was really having a hard time of it. So um, let me just see here. We have to go to the. We got to go to the hole there to get a save percentage heading into the game. Um, 
he was just he was super solid, Bruce. Yeah. And right to the end, like in mm-hmm. that, and as they were storming the gates right at the end, uh, Stamkos, there were some really hard outside shots, and he got in front of everything. He he was uh, coming out, cutting down angles better. We didn't see the horrible rebounds that we've seen in the past. Both goals against were not his fault in the least. They were just, they were going in, right? And no goalie would have had those most likely unless they got lucky. But he was just, there was a feeling of, from him, like he was going to get it done tonight. He wasn't going to let in a bad goal. He was going to stop all the shots he needed to stop, and he did so. 35 saves. Um, we do... <coughs> The grade-A shots in the game today were, um, let me see here, uh, 14 to 13 for Tampa Bay. Um, and the five alarm shots, subset of, you know, they're going 33% of the time, were 7-5 for Tampa Bay. And four of those, two of those uh, five alarm shots came in the last 20 seconds. And there was two um, at the eight-minute mark, actually, that someone else stopped. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> But, uh, but um, Murray was, Murray, uh, Jack Campbell was really good. Um, he just, uh, he he earned his money. So the expected goals were um, f- four. You would expect on on that a number of grade A shots and five alarm shots that Tampa would score a little bit more than four goals. Probably about four goals that game. And they did not get four goals. So, um that was the goalie. This was the goalie win for the Oilers tonight. Their goalie outplayed the best goalie in the league. And uh, kudos to Jack Campbell. He was a well-deserved first star. Huh. Well, What's your... According to um, Natural Statric, uh, <clears throat> Lightning had an edge in high danger chances of 18 to 13, but they actually had the Oilers with the higher expected goals, which I don't quite get that. Uh, three... 3.4 to 2.7, but I don't actually 2.7 for Tampa? Uh, no, they, I, don't, I don't buy no. it. Anyway. Jack Campbell had an 8.74 save percentage heading into the game, so mm-hmm. that'll go up a little bit. That'll start. Finally, uh, you know, put together another game, a solid game like that, and he's out of this slump. So keep it going, Jack Campbell. Good work tonight. You were fantastic. Yeah. Bruce, what's nine- your... 946 he posted in this game, Campbell. And he was, uh, uh, other than a a poor puck distributing decision in his very first handle of the game where he shot it into the wrong corner, uh, I thought he was just very cool. Uh, No rebounds. He was making good decisions when to cover the puck or when to keep it alive. Uh, He was, uh, he seemed square to the puck. And, you know, it could have gone one of two ways, David, on Saturday. Like, I heard his post game, and, well, I understood where he was coming from when he started talking about uh, being pathetic, and you could hear kind of a tremble in his voice and a quiver in his lip, and wondering, is this guy just kind of melting down and losing it? And then he said, I'm go- I have to be better for my team, and I'm going to be better, and he lives up to that in spades. This was a... This was a, a a big-time goaltending performance on the night. Oilers really needed it, and they've, they've been needing one for a while while they got one tonight. I didn't mind what he said when I heard the whole quote. You know, mm-hmm. when I just saw the pathetic part, I thought, oh, geez, like, why are you mm-hmm. so down? But he, he did say, like, I'm going to be better. He, he promised. Yeah. Oh, he did. He and committed he, he to was. it. He committed to being better, mm-hmm. and, he, and he was. So um, I didn't mind him saying that. Uh, what's your second good thing, Bruce? 
Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, defense pair of Cody CC and Brett Kulak that was put together. Uh, and they've kind of kind of revised that. And I noticed that, uh, um, well, I think everybody noticed that they were both out there in the last minute of the game when, with Darnell Nurse on the bench, who's been the Oilers five versus six defender forever and very good at it, by the way. He's, uh, he's um, uh, rarely, the Oilers are rarely scored on in the 60th minute with the lead, and he's usually part of it. But uh, I thought, I really like Kulak's game. I thought he was intense. He was hustling. He was on the puck. He was making good decisions with the puck. And, you know, he was getting into good defensive positions and uh, not, you know, not giving away a thing. And uh, that's kind of CeCe's game when he's on it. And last night he wasn't. Well, tonight he was. And uh, I just thought those guys, uh, I haven't yet had a chance to look at the matchups of who played the most about Tampa's. You know, they got uh, got lots of good players. They got a lot of good players. Yeah, you're going to need at least two defense pair to to face down all all of their top guys. And I I just thought they were, um, no, those guys were solid in, in, uh, First game together, and it allowed uh, Nurse and Barry, and I thought they weren't bad as a pair either. I like Barry's game. Again, I think Barry's been uh, been uh, pretty good this last while, actually. He got off to a really rough start, Tyson Barry, yeah. to the year, and he has been excellent, Bruce, I would say, in the last, um, like, if you split the season down the middle, the second half of this young season. Tyson Berry really has gotten it together. And he got it together last year, too. He had a rough start, and then he, he played well. He played solid defensive hockey. I was a little surprised to see him on the top pairing, um, you know, with Darnell Nurse. Um, but um, he has been playing well. It wasn't a – it wasn't a. he's a veteran defenseman, so he should have it figured out by now. Even though he's a little guy, can get by NHL standards and get o- overpowered now and then. Um, he's He's holding his own defensively. I thought CC and Kulak Bruce were really intense. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I just noticed a, a raising of Kulak's intensity, and he's such an effortless skater. I think he can kind of um, get in that kind of effortless mode, you know, which is good when you're skating and have the puck. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to put pressure. You know, you want to be smooth and and cool. But sometimes he he does need to amp it up and get those feet moving fast and charge in there and, and battle harder, and. Um, you know, CC's had a little bit of, he's been struggling lately on the top pairing. I, I wrote a post earlier this week about how Nurse has been playing so well, and he, he proceeded by having the two worst games, I think, of of, of his season to date. Last night he was. Last night. He was, he was okay tonight, but I can see why they went, if, if it was a decision, if Nurse wasn't hurt, and I don't think he was, I can see why they went with Kulak and CC. Those two guys were getting it done, and you just want to go with what's working, man. You, you need to win this game. So they stuck with those guys. Now they almost did get scored on, but um, they got it done in the end. Well, Kulak, uh, using him as a proxy, his top five opponents tonight were Kucherov, nine minutes, uh, Hagel, point. So basically their first line, nine minutes each, Heck, Heck, uh, Victor Hedman and Eric Chernak. Like that's basically okay. Tampa's first unit. And he yeah. hard matched against them because he was eight or nine minutes against all of those guys, and otherwise four minutes against uh, their second defense pair, Sergachev and this Nick Perbix came out of nowhere for me, and less than two minutes against everybody else on the Bolts. So uh, they were uh, they were really hard matched, and also uh, Kulak led the Oilers' uh, excellent penalty kill 
uh, with four minutes and 26 seconds of uh, ice time and uh, CC just four seconds behind him. So they were tabbed and moved into the shutdown role and uh, Nurse was given a different role, I guess, with uh, with Barry. And if that's the solution, we'll see. It was the solution tonight. And good on the coaching staff for coming up with something different because what they were doing before wasn't working. So this well, worked, I at least tonight it did. They were fired up, Bruce. There's been all this talk about bringing back Chris Russell, so I think, I think we got <laughs> fired up. Yeah, I heard somebody uh, talking about that the other day. Worried about their jobs, <laughs> as they should be. Caroline Cowboys ready to ride in, my friends. All right, um, Bruce, my second good thing is uh, both Ryan Murray's goal mouth um, saves with um, eight minutes left in the game. And... Um, the refs uh, review of the play. Uh, so that was real close. <laughs> that was real close, and um, it was kind of the the Oilers had been playing actually pretty well after the early goal in the third period. After that, the Oilers had been playing pretty well, um, but they did back up on this play. They weren't aggressive, and and Ryan McLeod wasn't aggressive. Derek Ryan was a little backing up. Murray was backing up a little bit himself. Then it goes on net. And this was the one mistake Campbell did make. He didn't get that puck dead. He didn't settle it down. He didn't kill it when it hit him. Mm -hmm. And um, it comes squirting out. And Darnell Nurse loses a battle at the side of the net. And there's and Maroons um, put it in. Uh, looks like he's put it in the net. Except Ryan Murray's there. Last second, he doesn't give up on it. As no defenseman will in the NHL. And he keeps it out by the mm -hmm. hair on his chinny chin chin. And then someone else almost puts it in, and, and Murray keeps it out again. There was two, um, two. E equally dangerous moments, and he kept both of those out. Good mm -hmm. for him. Good for Ryan Murray. Johnny on the spot. Ryan on the spot there. Excellent play from Ryan Murray. It still was in the balance. And I just thought, man, if they disallow that Hyman goal, um, which was a pretty marginal call, frankly, was there a mm -hmm. kicking motion? No, there was not a kicking motion. There was a movement of the foot, but it's was yeah. it a kicking motion? Uh, I don't know about that. Anyway, Couple angles that kind of looked like a short kick. Uh, he moved cap, his but, foot yeah. forward, but you could say I it was like see, I get, understand why they called it. Let's put it getting that his way. balance back. Anyway, if both those calls against the Oilers, that would have been extremely galling, but they didn't. And I'm not sure if they ever did look at the offside. I, I could never tell if that was offside, but um, it wasn't in the net. And no, did, did they say first? I, I, I might have. Did they actually say why they called it off? I didn't listen to the ref. I just. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They called it. They called it because it didn't cross the goal line. Oh, that's what they said. Okay. Same I was, was the one last night that hit the bar and went straight down. <clears throat> so I was really shocked that the Oilers were calling for an offside review. And I was sort of going, why don't you wait in here if it's even a goal before you challenge it? Because uh, it was so close. And I mean, the puck was on its edge and part of it was over the net, over the goal line, but not all of it. Usually puck on its edge. I mean, you don't, if you have to get the whole puck over the line, you know, the standing up puck is a lot narrower than the flat puck. So it was, uh, there wasn't a lot of space to, uh, uh, space left. And Murray, as you say, made two good plays and didn't have the usual catastrophe where your defenseman bounces it off the goalie's leg and back oh, into God. the net. Or, yes. You know, yes. off an opponent's skate back yeah. into the net because there's got bodies everywhere, right? But, uh, Somehow Murray was able to uh, make that play. And I thought generally Murray uh, had a lot better game tonight. He played 15 minutes, 15 and a half minutes in this game as a 
Whitby's seventh defenseman, and Marcus Niemelainen only played seven and a half, and it was really Murray who got the 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 key time down the down the stretch, and now uh, he looked more like what he was advertised, you know, a veteran, stable NHL defenseman, right? And it's going to be some time before they forgive Marcus Niemelainen for that uh, goal in the New Jersey game, Bruce. I, I have a feeling that kind of, that kind of plays sears into the coach's memory. Pretty strongly. Um, the breakaway by Jesper Bratt. Um, okay, I agree. Murray Murray looked better t- tonight. Bruce, um, bad things? What's your bad thing? Yeah, I got the performance of the linesman in this game. I did not like the performance of the linesman, and particularly one very specific play uh, where they com- – well, there was two plays where they completely muffed the new uh, – well, it's not even new anymore. It's been around for a few years now. The hybrid icing rule, where the the rule forever has been, uh, you win uh, the race back to the hash marks, and they blow it down before there's any conflict near the boards. And Tyson Berry was going back to get to the puck. He easily beat his man uh, number 90, Vlad Nemestikov, to the hash mark. Nemestikov was going faster. And the linesman decided, oh, well, it looks like he might actually win the race to the puck. The race isn't to the puck, buddy. It's to the hash marks. And so by the time Barry realizes that, he's not calling it. And I watched the replay, and the linesman waved it off when both guys were basically on the goal line, and Meskov had inside position, and down went Barry, ankles first, right into the end boards. The very play that rule was designed to prevent, because we saw so many players... Over the years, Pat Peak that, you know, broke both of his heels crashing into the boards on an icing play. Or one of those fans will remember Taylor Fadoon, who broke his femur in an exhibition game uh, and uh, missed an entire season because I had the occasion to interview Taylor Fadoon at uh, training camp the year after that and got the sort of firsthand account of the, you know, not just the the, the gruesome injury itself, but the months of recovery and, and uh uh, you know, that's a kind of very because you got players going to high speed and those end boards, you know, they're hard and they don't move. And it's like, you might, you might as well be driving into a cement wall. And to me, that linesman absolutely blew it and he endangered an NHL player and he should be disciplined, frankly, because that is the kind of call that I mean, their job one officials, all four officials, job one, player safety, do your job not good enough and, and Barry got up and he was pissed and he was yelling at the ref why wasn't that icing he was yelling at the linesman and he had every right to be pissed because he was endangered by by the the uh, late and blown call and just not good enough and uh, look after your players NHL and as a as a uh, secondary point player safety I would also make the play point that uh uh, I sure wish the players wore longer cuffs on their hockey gloves. Yeah, it was a Today terrible, tonight. terrible, um, terrible non, uh, you know, non-call, I guess, or whatever. He did. Terrible decision by the linesman. What what was he doing? What was he doing in that play? What was he thinking? He knows the rule. He and and Tyson Berry, he's just really lucky. He he was able to get his feet in the right mm-hmm. spot so he he was able to absorb the um the impact because his knees were bent and he was able his knees bent in right. uh, and so, so so one of his legs didn't get twisted 
They were they were just it just happened he got it in the right spot that he didn't get badly injured. He could have been out. He could have had a career ending injury because of that linesman season mistake. season ender. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean that. Well, yeah, and at his age, he's not a young player. Like I mean, if so, you know. If, anyway, it was it could have been a very severe injury, and I don't know suspensions in order. But that linesman owes Tyson Berry an apology. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that's that's the minimum. And I think Tyson Berry might even let it go with, you know, the orders might let it go with that. But he he, he must, he, he, he should, if he wants to be respected around the NHL, I'm suggesting that guy should make a phone call or go up to him after the mm-hmm. game face-to-face and say, listen, I really blew that call. I, I'm sincerely you know, asking for your forgiveness on that because I, I put you in danger and that was wrong of me. I just, I just had a brain glitch, you know, and that, that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Mistakes happen. And it was definitely a mistake, but it could have had dire consequences. I think it's 2008 and the race is all the way to the puck. Yeah. Maybe. And, you, know, just just sort of, you know, what, whatever. Anyway, it was, uh, uh, it was a bad moment. And, uh, uh, when Barry went down and stayed down for a second, I was, Oh no. And, uh, Thankfully, he did bounce up, and he, I don't think he missed a shift, but uh, uh, he's a tough guy, Barry. He, he's pretty wiry. He doesn't ever seem to get... Uh, um, uh, he's solid. Serious, yeah. But uh, he was he was not a happy guy, and he had every right not to be happy. And then the third period, there was one where Zach Hyman was in behind the uh, Tampa guy at the hash mark, and they called that one icing. Uh, I don't know if it's the same guy, but it was the same crew, and uh, so that's why I'm saying the linesman. Uh, had a bit of a tough game. And if I'm the Oilers, I'm sending the tape of that play to the league and saying, not good enough. So, you know. Uh, All right. Last time I was this mad at a linesman was that time that damn fool grabbed Nail Yakupov and pulled him, lost his balance off his face oh, off and decided geez, to tackle was... and injure first overall draft pick. That was ridiculous. That was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> that was not good. All right. Uh, my bad thing, Bruce. It's, it's, uh, the orders were up three to one heading into the third period and they needed this win. They just desperate for this win and two goal cushions pretty good. But uh, my bad thing isn't that the goal itself, the goal against itself. I didn't think any of the orders uh, did particularly badly. It was more of a, a case of brilliant execution than it was of Oilers flubbing it up, but it was the timing of it. It was um, 49 seconds into the period, and the owners have got to, they've just got to shut this team down and not let not let them get any momentum at all. And what happens? Um, you know, Drysaddle makes a play on the boards. They, you know, he stops the guy's forward progress, but he puts it back. You know, through Hyman to the point. There's a then a shot pass, and a brilliant, uh, perfect shot pass, perfect uh, deflection uh, tip on it and and you know maybe nurse could have been a little quicker getting to the guy maybe hyman could have done a little better blocking the pass or won that battle but there it wasn't made you know it wasn't horrendous mistakes by anyone it was just brilliant execution and it was horrible horrible timing for the Oilers because mm-hmm. now you got 19 minutes left of the tampa bay lightning in their home barn they're pretty desperate for wins too and um, you got to hold them off and the Oilers did so but man that was a scary scary goal against from an Oilers fan's perspective. The faithful were, yeah. were shaking in their boots. <laughs> and a recent memory of a game where the Oilers led 3-1 to one, going into the third period, gave up one at the 114 mark, so basically the same, you know, sort of first yeah. sequence of the third period. 
and that game they were hanging on 3-2 and they get they made it to uh the 17th minute 57th minute whatever you prefer yeah uh, but you know because it was a one goal lead it was never safe and like tonight's lead was never safe from that point on but uh, so that it was bad timing to give one up so early in the period and so there's no margin for error. I mean, the margin for error was that much that Ryan Murray kept the puck out of the goal line by, right? So. Indeed. Bruce, what is your numero? I'm going to go with Conor David's entire stat line. Uh, one night after he played 23 minutes and 57 seconds in New Jersey with a goal and assist, five shots on net. Uh, this is what he did in uh, Tampa Bay tonight after a long flight that the uh, the game crew detailed that saw the the team getting their hotel rooms at 3.20 a.m. And so this is what he did tonight, 23 minutes and 41 seconds, so virtually the same. <clears throat> another goal, another assist, uh, uh, a penalty, uh, 27 shifts, uh, and he had five shots on net, ten shots at net, four hits uh, to uh, uh, among, be among the Oilers team leaders, one giveaway, two takeaways, and then seven out of 16 in the faceoff circle. Like he was doing it all out there. Um, you know, offense, defense, he was just all over the, all over the ice and uh, uh, rightly named first star of the game in the building, not on the telecast, but uh, in, in uh, uh, what's the name of this place? Uh, yeah. Amelie, Amelie Arena. He, yeah. he was named the. Uh, the don't first blink star it or have another game. name soon. Yeah, they're always being renamed. I don't even. I just give it up. I don't care I, what they call them. I call up. them all. Insert corporate name here, Arena. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is not the Adelphia Coliseum or, or Enron Field, you know. <laughs> hell of a hell of a game from Connor McDavid, though. He was he was possessed. I thought Leon Dreisaitl was possessed. Leon did have some mistakes on in the defensive end, but not not from lack of hustle, man. He oh, Leon true. was especially as the game went on. He was just totally bearing down on defense in a way that really I really approved of and thought was was uh, you know what, what we needed to see a bounce back game in terms of intensity from that whole team. Mm-hmm. And Leon brought it. He was really striving and really trying to win. And um, both the, the best players on the team um, had that kind of work ethic tonight. And McDavid almost always has it, of course. He's right. he's one of the hardest working players on the ice, probably off the ice as well, every single game. Well, they recognize what a big game it was. And that's their, you know, that's their core leadership group yeah. right there. I mean, Dreisaitl had two more block shots, a lot of hustling back checks. Another great night on the faceoff dot, 14 for 21, 67%. And he's an Oilers faceoff horse every game. Yeah. Takes the most faceoffs. And he's above 50% night after night. Some nights he's in the 60s like tonight. So they uh, uh, they both delivered. And, of course, they connected for uh, uh, the game-winning goal. Just, just to have, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And Drysaddle's goal was that which one was that was Mc was that, was that one goal that yeah it came out of the corner and Leon was alone in front. What a shot! What a what a great yeah. shot that was that backhand shot like yeah. like how many guys are going to score that goal like more please from the backhand Leon you're you got a lethal backhand shot wow 
Yeah. Uh, he's starting to use it. He's had a couple of beauty shots lately that wound up bulging the twine. So that'll uh, probably uh, might get him thinking he should do it a little more often. It certainly got me thinking he should do it a little more often. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you can do the turnaround on the power play, like set up in the slot, get the pass and do the turnaround backhand shot as backhand well. Backhand side, oh. Um, Bruce, my number is five. That's Yessa RV shots. Um, I just, he probably had uh, maybe his best game of the season, one of his best games of the season. He had a few good ones early on. This was a really great game from uh, RV. He was all over the ice. And late in the, um, late in the first period, he, he, in the last uh, seven minutes of the first period, he had three great eight shots on net. Two of them were uh, tip shots. One of them should have been a goal. Um, and then one was a nice one-timer shot, uh, kind of a low-high pass from McDavid behind the net, high to McPilly mm-hmm. in the slot, and he drove it on net. Mm-hmm. So he was firing the puck a lot. He was uh, hustling, passing the puck to McDavid, making plays all night long, um, popping pucks, back-checking, forward-checking. He had a, at least a good game, maybe a great game. Would have been a great game, I guess, if he could have done more on the scoreboard. But I, I, yeah. I expect he'll get a seven or an eight in, in terms of his game grade. That's what I would give him. I, I'm not sure what, which one, but good game. Yeah, because of the zeros for the scoring, I personally would probably grade that a seven, but a very well-deserved seven. Like, he was strong. Yeah. And, and yeah. Uh, as you say, hustling tied McDavid himself for the team lead with five shots. And, you know, he was going to the net with his stick on the ice and his eyes open. And... Uh, <clears throat> at least getting directing pucks toward the net and uh he's i thought he was good last night too i really did and i think he's uh, looks like he may be starting to turn the corner and and uh uh tie time you know or at least need yeah. more out of all of these guys uh yeah <clears throat> fogel we talked about earlier and yamamoto i thought he was brought his a game tonight he was just uh in there digging and, and winning battles and getting it out of the defensive zone and looking good on the penalty kill, uh, three minutes on the penalty kill, five hits for Yamamoto in this game, led the forwards. And he was just aggressive and in and on, on the puck and in the battle. And that's nice to see because he's been frankly terrible in terms of what he's capable of versus what he's been delivering for the last quite some time. So yeah. no points. No shots, but uh, again, a, a very positive arrow uh, for Yamamoto, and uh, let's hope they all build on it. There was one play, one of those uh, great A shots for Pugliarvi. He went to the net, and there was a defenseman coming to get him, and Yessa made a great play. He, he popped the defenseman's stick up in there. Usually it's the defenseman who's popping the forward stick, but Pugliarvi popped the defenseman's stick and then got his stick firmly on the ice. He gained position in that way. That kind of aggression was really good to see from Pugliarvi, like, he, he, you know, trying to dominate the game. Sometimes I think he's a little bit too nice of mm-hmm. a person and, and a player out there. He should, he's got to play with a little bit more forcefulness, and we more saw that tonight. Yeah. yeah. All right, Bruce, I guess we'll be talking next Thursday. Thursday at Carolina and then at Florida on Saturday afternoon. It's a pretty wicked road trip. And I kind of anticipated a one-on-one start, but I thought it might be the other way around, winning out Washington. And, you know, the last time Oilers won in Tampa Bay was 2009, the year that they successfully did the fall for Hall and finished last overall by 12 points. And all they needed to do to win in Tampa was for Zach Stortini just to record the Gordie Howe hat trick. 
that was a it was an amazing road trip early in that season where they had a line Zach Stratini was playing center with uh, Ryan Stone and who was the other winger and they uh, Robert Nilsson and that was you know that was their fourth line and Jeff Delorier was the goalie and the Oilers went 5-0-0 on an Eastern road trip that included like <sighs> teams in Florida and Tampa were, you know, they weren't all that great either, but it was a similar road trip. And they, and they went 5-0 and and it was a lot of fun. And a lot of people were saying, you should be cheering for the Oilers to tank. We really need to tank and get the first overall pink. Well, we sure wound up tanking anyway, but that road trip was fun. And that 40-hour hat trick by uh, Stortini, who I was a fan of, uh, was a great moment. So... I finally can uh, say we won another game in Tampa since Sax Tertini was the hero. So that's long enough, I'd have to say. <laughs> Robert, Robert Nielsen. Now there Robert, is the name. Robert. There is the name. Traded, they, traded, um, they traded Ryan Smith to the New York Islanders, and they got back Robert Nielsen, Ryan O'Mara, and a first-round draft pick in 20, 2007, who turned out to be Alex Plant. Um. Bruce, and all was, three were number 15 overall draft choices. That's a really weird bit of trivia from that trade. That's the kind of <laughs> trivia that only you would know, Bruce. Um, and I say that as a compliment. Yeah, I remember. At the time, there was some buzz about it. but probably Robert Nielsen, <laughs> I remember one time, I think it was McTavish who said he thought Robert Nielsen's going to be leading this team in scoring. And there was that hope that Robert Nielsen at one point would be you know, two thirds, two thirds as good as his dad, and maybe you know get seventy points in a season. I, I think I would have believed that that at one point. Like he, he and Sam Gagne looked like those kinds of players initially for a short amount of time. Um, when, you know, their skill level was quite was was high, but they just to, to be that kind of scorer is extremely difficult in the NHL, and um, he just never. Um, his skill wasn't high enough, and it's and it you know he just never got it done in in that regard. I wonder if he's not still playing. Is he? I'll just have to check they, here. They got home from that road trip, David, and Pat Quinn mar marked their success by breaking up the line, promoting Robert Nielsen to the second line, promoting Ryan Stone to the third line, leaving Zach Sertini where on the fourth line, which he practically defined his entire time here, uh, and putting him back on right wing. And the magic went away, and there was no benefit from doing it. He should have just left them together while they were rolling, but not Quinn. <sighs> 2007 and 8 with the Oilers, he had 41 points in 71 games. It was his first, you know, really big year, you know, pretty good year in the NHL, but he just never was able to replicate that. He did, Bruce, become a point-of-game player, but it was in the Swiss A-League with right. Zurich where he did that for a number of seasons consecutively. He was, he was a good player in that league. Uh, he retired for that league. He, yeah, he was totally, you know, just a skilled player. It's like Linus Omar, you know, same kind yeah. of skill, dipsy doodler, small guy. That's, uh, you know, got all kinds of skill. And uh, the Swiss league is kind of the perfect destination. And a nice place to live and play, I understand. He retired in 2017, 18, Robert Nielsen. And Linus Omark is he's still playing and he is in the Swiss A League. Oh man, he's scoring like crazy. He's in the top five in his league, something like six or seven times in the last few years. It's like two or three different leagues. 
KHL a few times in the Swiss League, and you know he's we we saw the talent, David. Oh but, God, did uh, we ever? <laughs> but it never did. It never did uh, really materialize at the NHL level. Um, but <clears throat> but he was a trickster, uh, Lena Selmark, and he uh, had successfully transitioned to European hockey, which of course was his roots, and. Uh, Turned into a heck of a player. I saw him and saw a few of these guys play in the in the Spengler Cup a few times. I always enjoyed watching that for the style of hockey. Was he part of Hull? Was he part of Hull? He was the O and O. He was the O and O. Hull, Omar, Pajarvi, Eberle. There you go. And that was in 2010. They were all rookies and they were all wingers. And then two years later, Omark was basically out of the picture, and Yakupov came in, and I remarked that they changed hope into hype. <laughs> <laughs> Good line, Bruce. Good line. And unfortunately, that was pretty much all it was for that version of the rebuild. Don't Indeed. build around the wings. That's what I learned from that, from that whole experience. Yeah. All right. Thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult Hockey Podcast.